Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. As a reminder, <laughs> Act 2 is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is actually just one of our many initiatives. So thank you for joining us here. And if you want to know more about us, you can follow us on Instagram at Act2Writers. You can follow me on Instagram at Story Thursday or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And you can follow me on Instagram at Josh Hallman or Twitter at Joshua Hallman. All right. Today we are basically just going to do an extended this week in writing because I feel like a lot has happened in the last week or two with writing and so we're just kind of kind of talk about that what's been going on in our writing lives yeah we share stories back and forth and we're always kind of like having these little anecdotes we're on a, a thread with dave as well and it's important for us to talk about it because i feel like a lot of things we talk about are what other writers are going through and what other writers talk about so rather than coming in with this one big topic we're coming in with a bunch of topics a bunch of topics yeah josh has a few things i have a few things who should go first i'll go first all right i always go first though and then you come in and just destroy <laughs> whatever i say like, i'll go first i'll go first okay let's let's freaking go i'm ready all right come on all right Fired so up. recently i read a script by terrence winter who wrote the sopranos he wrote wolf of wall street he created boardwalk empire and i think most importantly he wrote a few episodes of Xena. Obviously most important. And there was <laughs> there was something that was just really interesting in reading his script that I wanted to share and that I did share with you over text and just thought it was really interesting. Something he does to create pacing in the action description of his scripts. And I had never really seen that before. Now, normally when I create pacing in a read in my script, I use double dashes. I have recently learned to add single dashes. <laughs> I've added that to my repertoire from Declan DeBara, who was my showrunner on the Witcher prequel. He you loved using single dashes and I was like, yes, that's great. That creates a kind of much quicker pace even than double dashes. So I started using those. And usually when I use dashes, it's because there's something very active happening. It's a fight scene or it's just a really tense scene. And generally, grammatically, it's where a comma would go or a semicolon would go to create that pause when you're reading. But visually, I find that double dashes create space. Like it creates literally white space on a page so that it mm -hmm. breaks up just one long, thick block of text that you don't want people to skip over. But the thing that Terrence does is he uses colons. And I am just going to read you a sample action description without telling you where the colons are but I'm going to read it the way that it kind of forces you to read it when you're an exec or whoever reading his action description. It's just a short paragraph. It says, young Mary, not agreeing, confused, but definitely not the moment to talk about this, runs away with her package of meat and looks back wildly. I don't know if that makes a ton of sense without context, but it doesn't matter because it's all about the pacing. So I'm gonna read it now with where the colons are young mary colon not agreeing colon confused colon 
but definitely not the moment to talk about this, colon, runs away with her package of meat, period, looks back wildly. So I just thought that was really interesting because as I read that, again, I had never seen colons used that way. And it definitely made me a big pause and take each of those sections individually as different actions or even different camera movements is really interesting. Yeah. When you said look back, looks back wildly, was there a period after that? There was. Are there any double dashes? No double dashes. I don't think he used any the <laughs> entire script. <laughs> I I really hate to say this, but I'm a big fan of like looking at a page and seeing a clean script. I hate to say this. There's like this weird neurotic thing that I, I, I just, there's something. Are you trying to tell me you don't like my double dashes? No, are you kidding? I love double dashes. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, you know, do you, I don't even know how to write periods anymore. <laughs> my point is, is like, I've, I've, I've gone through this weird visual phase where I used to actually look at my pages and I'd be like, how does this look on the eye? Mm -hmm. I don't really do that anymore, but there was a time when I really was hyper aware of that. And I actually think you and I talked about it because I was doing it for something just because, you know, when you read your script so many times over and over, and then it becomes like, you know, a piece of art. And you're like, how do these two paragraphs look? Or these uh, blocks of description, do these look good together? Anyway, first of all, I'm a huge fan totally. of Totally. Don't ever say that shit again to me. I, I actually think I do it intuitively, like look at a page and see if it looks physically good because yeah. I know that at every stage, someone's going to want to put my script down. Like that's the inertia is to not read something. So you have to really push someone to read your script, even if it's really good. I mean, I've read scripts that are really good and I still get bored and I'm a writer. Like that's just part of Reading yeah. can be exhausting sometimes, especially if you're doing it a lot. And these little tips and tricks help are really helpful. Like if looking at this on the page right now, this example by Terrence Winter, the colons actually do create the similar space that dashes do because you do colon space, the next clause, colon space. So it does still create white space, which is also really helpful. I mean, visuals are important. If I see a huge block of text on a page, I'm going to skip it and go right to the fun dialogue. <laughs> and usually I haven't missed a thing. I, the other week I um, submitted something and you and Dave gave me notes on it. And it was kind of a mess. But, and I, I was feeling really bad about it. And I was like, fuck, what am I doing with my life? And then at the very end, Dave was like, but it was a quick read. And I was like, boom, I'm back, baby. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that's all that mattered. It didn't hurt your eyes. It wasn't a strain. So wait, are you, what are you saying? Are you saying everyone should be aware of their the way their pages look? I mean, don't spend a lot of time on it, but if you have a huge section of, of action description, I would trim it or edit it or look at how you can make it breathe a little bit more. But I wouldn't say, you know, obsess about it. Just off the top of my head, J.J. Abrams wrote a Superman script that kind of cir you know, circulated on Twitter, like screenwriting Twitter not long ago. But it's been out, you know, there he wrote it 10 or 15 years ago or whatever it is, but his blocks of description are massive, but his writing is so good and his action is so great that you, you stick with it the entire time. And I, I remember reading that and kind of studying it because I was wondering what makes you like attracted to this? Why am I reading this? Like normally I'd be skipping over this, but I didn't know if it was just his writing style, the double dashes, 
whatever it may be, <laughs> it keeps you engaged. The double dash is your best friend. I think so. It, it allows me to make much larger chunks of action description than I normally would be able to because it would yeah. look so intimidating and like I wouldn't want to read it. But as soon as you put double dashes in there, it's the same information. <laughs> it just looks way more appealing. <laughs> we made, The name of this episode is Double Dash. We basically talked about this. For like... <laughs> I actually have more to say about this topic a little later on. Are you sure you don't want to keep going? I'm good. Your turn. <laughs> Go. What was your this week in writing? <laughs> so I was in a little bit of a, I'm in a little bit of a predicament. I have been telling a producer I'm going to get him a script for a, a while now. We've been working on something and I was writing something on spec and the producer has been asking for it. Not, not in a, not in a hard way, but kind of just kind of nudging. And whenever you nudge a writer, you know, that, that causes that stir of anxiety and you're like, I need to finish this. I need to get this to him. So as it turns out, producer is going to be leaving town and was basically like, hey, can you please get me the script? And I know the script is kind of in a vomit form and it's not, it's, it's not my best work. But it, it got me thinking, like, at what stage and how do you approach this when, like, a producer's asking to read something it's not good. It could be a, you know, he knows me well enough to know kind of like some of my other scripts that I've written, but it just, I was like, I don't want this to be a bad reflection on what I can write. And I even talked to you about it and you gave me some really great advice about when I like send I it over to him. Just, yeah, you, you were like, Hey, just tell him, uh, you know, this is kind of the structure and this, these are, this is how the script is kind of going to look, but you, I know that I have to change a few things and to make mm -hmm. it sound like there's still more work to do but I know it, I know it's going to get better. And so my point is my, my, like my thing was, is like, how precious should you be with like that first draft when you send it to someone? Yeah. Obviously you want to get it as, in best shape as you can, but if someone's asking for it, do you hold off? Do you send it? Oof. What do you do, Tasha? What do I do? I'm already sending it like tomorrow <laughs> or the next day, but <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't want to sort of send you into a spiral if you're sending it tomorrow, but I can tell you what I would do. Because I don't think I've ever sent – that's not true because I learned this lesson because I sent vomit drafts to people. And the response was so horrifying that I quickly learned not to send vomit drafts just because I would say the majority of producers – and this also includes like managers and reps um, mm -hmm. as well. So people who aren't writers basically, if they read a vomit draft, even though they know it's a vomit draft, they will be horrified by what yeah. they're presented with because they won't be able to fully understand that this is just the skeleton of some great script you're about to write and that part of the process even though they may know intellectually that part of the process is about getting to the good script underneath and that you have to have the bad ideas on the page and it's about trimming back and all of these things they may know this intellectually very well but when they see it they're going to get terrified especially if they're a producer and they've paid you or they're hoping to take this out to a major studio and sell it they're going to be like oh my god he totally shit the bed on this and i don't know how to fix it and I saw that so many times at Universal too, where writers would send in scripts that weren't 100% there and Universal would freak out and like debate killing the project when, and then they'd hop on the phone with the producer and the pr producer would be like, 
We know it's not 100% there, but we just wanted to give it to you so you could see the direction we're going and kind of get your feedback now. Yeah. And even though they're having that conversation with producers, the studio executive would still be terrified that they fucked up and that the script will never get there. Which is all to say that I would probably say, if I trusted this person, I'd be like, here's my vomit draft and here's what I intend to do with it. And I think my email about what I intend to do with it and the way I articulate myself will hold a lot of weight. It'll show them that I'm really smart and, and I have a handle on this. So there's that version, which I think definitely works. And the other version is making some excuse about why <laughs> you would prefer you're more comfortable sending them the script a little bit later. Yeah, no, it's terrifying. Then we can come back next week and see what he says. <laughs> and then it'll be another this week in writing. <laughs> this week and Josh getting drunk on the podcast. He <laughs> drinks his problems away <laughs> as a producer completely shits on his life. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. Part of me just wants to get the script off my hands also. Sure. I mean, at this point, it might be great to get his feedback uh, at the stage that it's in because it's not a piece of crap. I have read it and it's not as vomitous as you think it is. So it might be a good, good space for him to come in and start giving some direction. But I, I guess I also just want to say, I, I wouldn't do this if I didn't have a relationship with yeah. said producer producers. If this was someone who this was like, they requested to read something of mine for whatever reason. It was like the first time they were ever going to read my writing. I would it never, I would, I would be like, just wait until it's, you know, in tip top form. So I would never, that's, that's the only reason I'm considering this. I just want to say that just in case someone's like, well, I'll just send someone a vomit draft and tell them how I'm going to fix it. That's a, that's a very bad thing to do. Yeah. I think that's a really smart point to make. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. That's it. That's my first This Week in Writing. That's my first topic. All right. Second one, I'm going to enter this topic by way of a listener question, but it is something that's been going on in my own writing life, and this person just kind of hit on it and sort of triggered me a little bit, so excuse me oh, if shit. I go on a tangent for a second. <laughs> but we had this great question from one of our listeners, Caroline who listened to our voice episode about how, you know, you should add just lots of flavor to the way you describe characters and movements and actions, kind of like how you were saying how J.J. Abrams just makes the read really engaging so that you read just blocks of text. And she brought up a really great point that I had kind of forgotten because it's been a while since I've been in film school. But in film school, they teach you to not do that, to not add flavor. They kind of tell you that, look, that's the director or the cinematographer's job and a script is just a blueprint. In fact, there are actually plenty of famous quotes floating out there from old famous Hollywood writers that say exactly that, that we're, we're just writing blueprints. That's all we are as screenwriters. But the key is that they are old school Hollywood writers. And typically in film school, when you're taught by writers who are not active in the industry or were active in another time they're just not aware of how scripts are selling now and how they're yeah. being read now because the business is constantly changing, like literally from week to week, it's changing. And I think one of the things that has changed is that the read of a script has become extremely important. And here's where it becomes like my this week in writing is that I have a TV show that's set up at a major studio right now. 
And what that means in this particular case is the studio has bought my pilot and then they've hired me to write a format document, which we've talked about on the show, and also hired me to write an episode two. And this is all before they actually green light my show. So their plan is that they're going to take my pilot, my format document, my episode two to the green light committee, which is basically just a huge conference room full of their bosses. And I remember like at Universal when I have to prep my boss for those green light committees they were like several hours long it was a really exciting day for us assistants because it meant we got free food but oh. basically it was um <laughs> it was like a chance for these executives to show off their their product kind of like on the great british bake-off right like you spent all week trying to figure out what the hell kind of cheesecake you're gonna make and what personal story you're gonna pitch about why you chose this cheesecake now it's time yeah. for judging and the green light committee is basically paul and prue tasting your screenplay in front of dozens of other people all staring at you and oh my god i've never <laughs> wanted to be a part of something more than right now in the green light committee <laughs> oh i didn't know it was called the green light committee the green light committee yeah and it's full of these creative executives which was who my boss was at universal but also marketing executives business affairs executives they kind of all decide collectively as this kind of like cult-like <laughs> meeting oh my god <laughs> where they order really delicious food and give the leftovers to assistants <laughs> they all decide in that moment whether this package that you're presenting them is worth the money and if it is they're going to green light it and then you're off to the races right okay so that's <laughs> i have so many questions oh but i won't i won't ask can i let me can i ask one thing yeah. Is it kind of like a competitive nature between the execs where they're like, I'm going to get my shit greenlit and you're not? Because, for instance, if it was like me and a couple other people, if it was like <laughs> both of us, I'd be like, Tasha, that's a really stupid idea. You're fucking going I'd down, I'd try to psych Tasha. you out. <laughs> Are you sure you want to present that to your boss? I think 100% there are personalities in those studios that are doing exactly that. Right? Like you'd have to. Oh my god! Because to succeed, you need to get your shit greenlit. What the fuck am I doing with my life? I want to be in the greenlight committee. <laughs> ASAP, put me on this board. <laughs> All right, Josh is changing career paths, and he will now become yeah. a studio executive. <laughs> Adios, Act Two podcast. Waste <laughs> of my time. I'm on the greenlight committee now. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so back to my story. Now, the only piece of the puzzle I have left before I go to my green light committee is my episode two. I have done, I will tell you, no joke, in the last couple months, at least nine drafts of this episode two. And several drafts ago, one of the people on my team said, you know, this is good to send to the studio. Like, let's go for it. Let's get that mm. green light. And... Other people on my team were like, eh, you know what? Like, you see this character name here? It's kind of difficult to say. Can you write it out phonetically? Or uh, this character picks up a piece of paper in this scene, and it's really unclear what the paper is referring to. Can you just write out exactly what it's referring to on the piece of paper so the audience sees it? And so on, which means the point is that these aren't big notes. These are not substantive notes. They're not going to change how good the story is. All of these notes are about the read. 
Yeah. Now, in the past, and this is why professors are giving these notes in, in film school, telling you these things, a producer in the past could turn in your draft to a studio and say, look, we think it's 90% there, but we wanted you to take a look at it now so that we could get your thoughts. Or a studio would read it and realize, you know what, this 10% that's not quite there, that can be fixed later down the road. Like the fact that this character, his name I can't pronounce, will fix that later. <laughs> But look, the bones and the skin and the muscle, it's all here. But now, today, in our environment, for a multitude of reasons that are all about business models and money and just the sheer amount of content that's out there, studio execs have way less patience. So if you send them a script that is only 90% there, the chances are very high that this is your one shot at them deciding to go to the green light committee or not. And if they see that 10% is missing, the chances are high that that's enough for them to be like, eh, let's ax this project. It's not really worth yeah. spending money on. Because it's harder and harder to go to business affairs and say, we want our company to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars or more likely millions of dollars on a show that is only 90% there. So because of that, the read has become extremely important. And I've done nine drafts of the script because literally only of the read. And I think to me, it becomes then important to have voice, ignore those screenwriting professors and have as much voice as possible because you want to get that 100%. And a way you do that is by making the read fun make it super engaging, make it a page turner. I can't tell you how many scripts I've read that are actually shitty, but the voice is so engaging that it gets sold. Yeah. And that I think is the key. And we talked about that at length in our voice episode, but that's me is all to say, I've had a really hard week about <laughs> editing these really shitty small things. And I will tell you the script is, is, is definitely better. It's at 100%, at least as 100% as I can make it, but it's still been extremely frustrating that we have to think about this, but we do. Yeah, something you said, I re there, oh God, I can't believe I'm bringing up Twitter for a second time. Me neither. I appreciate all of the knowledge that is passed along from executives and managers and agents and this and that, but often I see people giving advice hmm. and they give the advice and then like at the end of this thread of advice, it's like, but really there's only one rule in screenwriting and that's, uh, you know, make sure someone turns the page. So do whatever yeah. you need to do to make someone turn the page. It's like, well, do, do I take the advice? Was your advice worth it? It's like, I don't know. I, I you know, I just, I, I get hung <laughs> up sometimes. But it's great. But I feel I'm, like that's I'm, kind of, I mean, that is what we do on this podcast, right? Like take all of what we say with a grain of salt, but this is how we do it. If it's <laughs> helpful. Fuck. I'm no better than <laughs> you, are, you are screenwriting I'm, Twitter just live. I am. Damn it. I am screenwriting Twitter. Anyway, moving on. That was great. <laughs> See, this is why you go first, because you always come in hot with these really good topics. There's continuity between your first topic to your second topic. And just so happened. And I love it. So there's no continuity to, to this, but let me just say, <laughs> you and I have talked about this. I, and I think a lot about Marvel and I think about the Marvel success and I'm a big DC fan. And I was thinking about how, I mean, I, I defended 
the Snyderverse and the Snyder Cut and all of that. Oh, we know. But we know. <laughs> <laughs> However, I just feel like everyone, if you are a studio, if you are, if you have a any form of IP, I think that you should approach it the same way that Marvel has approached all of their movies. And it blows my mind why some people or some companies, producers, whoever it may be, doesn't just do the Marvel approach. DC yeah. being a perfect example, you kind of, they kind of threw in the kitchen sink and it was like the whole Justice League. Whereas if they probably would have spread out the love for all their characters and had independent films like Wonder Woman and maybe a cyborg movie, whatever. And I don't know why people don't do this, Tasha. Because I almost feel like the Marvel approach is useful to every single screenwriter. Like if you treat hmm. every piece of... They, everything that you write with the exception of like passion projects, if you treat something as an origin story and a standalone story, I just think that's, that's awesome. This is actually part of a this week in writing that happened to me that I wasn't going to bring up, but I had a meeting about a franchise that came as a movie first and then they want to do a TV series as well. And I was fully prepared to come in with my Marvel take, because I agree with you, I think that is the clear model that works the best in terms of engaging an audience and getting them so invested that you've now got them hook, line, and sinker for infinity. And they, the producers were like, yeah, here's a bunch of reasons why we can't necessarily do that model. And a lot of those reasons were business reasons. And it was like, For sure. there are these studios and other companies that are wrapped up in the movie of this franchise, of this IP. But we can do a TV show separately. So as long as the TV show has nothing to do with the movies, then we're fine. It's like, oh, well, fuck. That's not the Marvel model, right? Like they, I got gotcha. you. So that becomes... But on top of that, what... What is actually really interesting is they were doing exactly as you're saying to not do, which is, okay, I was like, all right, fine. Here's how I would adjust it so that we're still doing an origin story that's a single story because that's what's interesting and that's what's going to gain audience engagement. And they're like, cool, but can you like also make it about this other character and like have it be like a buddy comedy now and like have more characters come in during the course of, I'm like, no. No, you can't because the whole point to to create that audience audience engagement is to do the Daredevil version, is to do the Jessica yeah. Jones version. And yeah, you may have Luke Cage come into Jessica Jones, but it's not about Luke Cage. It's not a two-hander. He goes on and has his own show. So I I think some people do struggle because it is not the the norm. Like it's most people are used to just doing as much as possible within a TV show because I think they don't know the way that Marvel knows. They have so much money, they can just make shows forever. Most people don't have that liberty. So I think maybe they operate from a place of fear of like, we don't know if we're going to get a second season. So we have to just throw the kitchen sink into the first season. I'm guessing. That makes sense. I don't like it. I think you're right. But um, I think that's something as a writer, you have to fight against other people having that impulse. I was thinking about like the Bond universe Ooh. and how cool that would be if, they just had different double O agents. Then you had James Bond. You have the different bad guys. You can have different bad guy origin stories and things like that. Like, I feel like rather than just rebooting James Bond over and over and over again, even though they kind of did. I want an M origin story. Yeah, M origin story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember there was a script on the blacklist 
it was about the first agent in the agency maybe i remember but that basically it got it got shit canned because obviously you know you can't do that you can't just write in a james bond movie without, without having james bond james bond but yeah i just think everyone should copy marvel like i feel like if you're even if you're a writer and everyone wants sequels and this and that just fucking copy marvel just have confidence in your standalone characters rather than throwing the kitchen sink in and having mm -hmm. a big war at the end of a movie yeah i thought of some examples I would love to hear some examples. Like, are are there other franchises you feel like could have benefited from this or been better because of this? Yeah, I do, Tasha. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I was thinking about the uh, the Goonies, one of my all time mm. favorite movies, mm. and I was thinking of how to marvelize the Goonies, and I want to tell you how to do it. This isn't like some big pitch or anything that. like that. But I feel I feel I feel like it is. I'm gonna position myself appropriately. All right, go ahead. Okay. Bring it. All right. So I was thinking about the Goonies, one of the greatest movies of all time, a kid adventure, that's also enjoyable for adults. It's an adult adventure. So I was thinking probably because it's been rumored to be rebooted or having a sequel or whatever it is, and I I, I imagine that the natural instinct is to bring back the Goonies. And have them as adults going on an adventure. Maybe they have children. Those children go on an adventure. Maybe it's like parallel adventures that they're going on or they all come together and mend their you know, relationships together. However, we're going to throw the net of Marvel over the Goonies. And I was thinking, you have One-Eyed Willie, the pirate that just kick-started the entire adventure for the Goonies. Imagine you've seen this pirated movie that's sort of like Pirates of the Caribbean or Caribbean, depending on who you are. And you have this Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean style movie, this adventure, this, this pirate ends up in Astoria where the Goonies live, and maybe there's other pirates there. And so you kind of get this one-eyed Willie origin story. You figure out how he ended up there, and he brings this treasure map, and maybe there's other treasure maps. And basically you have a standalone one-eyed Willie movie with other pirates. That's one movie. You have a movie about an adventurer named Chester Copperpot, the original guy who went looking for One-Eyed Willie but dies in a fucking cave. You have one of those kind of movies. That could be a branch off. He has family. He's got issues. But these are like, these are character pieces, right? So yeah. there's another version where the kids of the Goonies, they find the other tre uh, treasure map of, you know, the original Chester Copperpot. Like there, there's so many different options that you could have and it's essentially an adventure verse. Like that's what you're doing. You're creating all of these things that lead up to one giant culmination, but you've set the pieces in motion that it all pays off in like the eighth movie. That's my Goonie uh, semi-pitch. That's pretty Chester cool. Copperpot standalone, One-Eyed Willie standalone, the kid Goonies, the adult Goonies. <sighs> How would you order them though? Would you well, do the problem, Tasha? One-eyed Willie first. I don't I feel think like so. No. Nah, people don't like pirate movies. No, you got to get them invested and then throw them a pirate movie. I think so. What if you have like a kid adventure and then you sprinkle that? Oh my God, these were the Goonies the entire time. Like you don't rely on the Goonie name. Like at the very end, they like they're trying to find their parents or something, and then they find them, and it's like Mikey. Yes. And all the other parents. And you're like, what the fuck? I've been watching That's a cool. Goonies sequel this entire time. I'm in. Okay. Is the answer just money? Like, is that the I only so. reason? 
Yeah, this is all really easy for me to say. I'm like I'm like a Twitter guy right now where I'm like, they should have done it this way. <laughs> like, they, this is all really easy for me to say because I don't have the money. I'm not financing any of these things. No, but it's also creative. It's also creative because of the example I just gave where they do have the money in this particular case to make a standalone origin story show and they're still pitching, make it an ensemble hodgepodge. So sure. it's also a creative thing. Yeah, I think so. Imagine like a Blumhouse level, not like in the scares realm, but like that uh, kind of budget, like an indie about mm -hmm, kids mm -hmm, adventuring mm -hmm. and it ends up being a Goonies movie. Oh my gosh, I'm in. I'm so in on that. Can you go yeah, pitch too. I'm that to right now? someone? <laughs> I'll think about who later. That's great. Yeah. All right, you know what? We're I moving guess on. I it had to be Amblin. <laughs> <laughs> Amblin! I know how to reboot the fucking Goonies. <laughs> G give me the Goonie verse. All right, what's your third uh, This Week in Writing? All right, this is my last This Week in Writing. And it came from a conversation I was having with a buddy of mine, also a writer. And it's just, he's having a really interesting experience, development situation with an executive at a studio that, like, this guy defies all advice I would ever have for him. Like, it's to the point where I tell him, like, here's what I would do, but please don't listen to me because you <laughs> seem to be, like, on your own island doing your own thing and it's working. So, oh, wow. this guy, he, he ended up getting the, like, the head of a major studio's contact information through a film festival where he met him at like a panel and the guy was like yeah sure send me your stuff but only when you get a manager so my buddy has gotten a manager since then and he's not even talking to this guy through his manager but just the fact that he has a manager now is enough for the studio exec to be like okay sure yeah send me your ideas and yeah. so my buddy sends him like a list of 10 ideas or something like that which is usually what we do with our managers or our reps, right? To be like, hey, what should I work on next? Like, here's a list of my 10 ideas. Which do you like better? But this is, he's sending it to a studio exec, which to me is like unheard of. That's just, you're sending finished scripts that are at 100% to studio executives, yeah. right? You're not sending them a list of log lines. But this is what he does. And the studio exec says, great, like, um, you know, we have one of these already. We don't have one of these, but we're not really interested in doing a movie like that. I like this one. And he actually got back to him and said, I like this one, beat this out a little bit more and then send me your ideas. Wow. And so he did, he's, he beat like, he just basically extended the log line into a small paragraph and sent that to the guy. Now, what I would have done <laughs> is I would have yeah. created a full pitch and then gone into the guy, but my buddy just sends a short paragraph and I'm like, oh man, this, the studio exec is not going to respond. And he does. He responds and he says, this is great. But I think the catalyst that you have in your little paragraph is not working. Can you come up with something else? And so wow. my buddy texts me and he's like, hey, I just have a quick question. Like, what can I expect from this meeting with the studio exec? He says that he likes my ideas, but he has some thoughts and he wants to chat next week. And my buddy was like, is this just a brainstorming session? Um, I literally sent him one paragraph of the pitch. So I'm not really sure what he wants to talk to me about. Is it just more of like, I go in and hear what he has to say, or do I have to come up with a pitch? And my response was come up with a fucking pitch, <laughs> um, but he didn't and it's working out. So he since has like just sent him slightly more extended information 
And this de- this ex- studio exec is developing this idea with him, which again, that's not what they typically do. That's normally what a producer would do. A wow. studio exec is someone, they're a buyer. That's what we call them, they're buyers. So when you have something ready for them, even if it's just an article about street racing, and uh-huh. your take on it, you take that to them, you have a take on it and you have an article, something for them to buy and to pay you to write. They don't typically sit there and develop story with you. And so that's just my way of saying like, I'm continually flabbergasted by this process because it's so unusual and he's finding success with it, which is all to say, again, going back to your kind of Twitter screenwriting verse, <laughs> like we don't fucking know, <laughs> like anything yeah. is possible. That's it. That's my this week in writing. No, that's great. This is what I love about the entertainment industry is like, and I think this is something that's so appealing to so many people is that you hear these certain stories and there's no one way someone has done something. There's, there's, you know, certain ways that a lot of people have done, but you hear about an outlier and you're like, that makes sense. I, that, that could be me. I could do something like that. And I feel like that, that's such an appealing like carrot that, is dangled in front of you if you're in the entertainment industry. But also that studio executive sounds amazing. I know. Like a very good person. I know. So I'll keep everyone updated on this story as it progresses because I am curious yeah. how it ends. So, you know, I want to also just take back what I said about film film Twitter. I, it's I've out done there 180 now. since I said it five minutes ago. <laughs> you were so passionate just... about that opinion five minutes ago too. I know. That's how that's how quickly I flip. <laughs> Highly caffeinated. Anyway, those are our this weeks in writing. Those are this, this weeks in writing. This weeks. This week in writing. This weeks. This weeks. This week in writings. <laughs> I should have opened the show asking you why you didn't like Coco, but I forgot. Now it's too late. Oh dang. I also watched Coco this week. Yeah, what's your beef? I actually I actually liked it more this this last viewing. And I can see why you like it, because it's a father child story Mm, maybe that is why i also have a working theory that when movies end with a musical number Mm. you kind of walk away loving it most of the time (sighs) it always leaves you on me at least on a very high note the last showman coco whiplash those are just what i can come up with off the top of my head so i've never seen any of those movies except coco you never seen Whiplash? I know. I know. What the? You've never seen Whiplash? We're going to cut this out, so I'm not embarrassed. You've never seen The Last Showman? <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. All right, quote of the day. <laughs> <laughs> quote of the day. Let's go. In England, I am a horror movie director. In Germany, I am a filmmaker. In the US, I am a bum. John Carpenter. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers to learn more about us and to get some cool writing stuff infused into your week. You can yeah. follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. Or you can follow me on Instagram at Josh Hallman or Twitter at Joshua Hallman. And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.